Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Should we continue our uh, mafia-slash-mobster movie-a-thon? We just watched The Departed, Mm -hmm. and uh, we recently watched Goodfellas, so I don't think I'm ready for that one. What would you suggest? Heat, probably. Heat, yes. Or Scarface. Ooh. Yeah. It's funny how we get on these little kicks. Yeah. And Scarface is one of my all-time favorites. I watched it a ton when I was a kid. Um, And (laughs) it's one of those movies that I think maybe I shouldn't have uh, watched a ton as a kid. Sure, sure, sure. Did you have it on DVD? Oh, gosh, no. No, it was on a cassette uh, tape. Oh, really? A VHS? Uh, a VHS. Uh, it was one of the many that my dad bought at a yard sale, and it was like handwritten. Oh, uh, so it was, like, like, was like three movies on a single VHS. Of, of HBO or something. Probably something yeah, like that. Right. Um, and uh, it said, <laughs> it said in what appeared to be like an old lady's handwriting, Scarface, and then in parentheses, Filthy language. <laughs> so, of course, I was immediately drawn to it. Yeah, of course. And it's interesting that uh, this person thought the language was filthy, yet indexed it and kept it. And really, the language is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the chainsaw scene? Yeah. Come that on. That was, whoo. I still get queasy <laughs> when I when I think of that. Anyway, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe Scarface for okay. tonight. I am down. You know, in a recent episode, you did the topic on wedding traditions from from around the world. That was really fascinating stuff. And I'm lying in bed last night, and I was thinking about it. I started thinking about different funeral traditions from around the world. And, you know, I thought, well, that might be interesting. So I I looked a bunch up, and we have touched on a few from time to time throughout the history of the Box of Oddities vast and growing catalog. Um, but but this one, I think, is going to blow your mind. I'm very excited. Mortuary feasting. Uh, mm. I mean, I've been to... I've been to funerals before where they have like a nice spread. Is that what this... Is it the same thing, maybe? <laughs> You're hoping it is, but it's not. No. It's the funeral and burial tradition of the Yanomami 
tribe in South America. Not just that tribe. Similar practices are uh, undertaken at different tribes from around the world. (laughs) Undertaken. (laughs) Not not an intentional pun. Um, So is it where you get real sad at a funeral and then you go home and you feast? (laughs) The Yanomami tribe is mostly found in Venezuela and uh, parts of Brazil. It's not like these people haven't come in contact with the outside world or the modernized westernization of society, because they have, Mm -hmm. but they still cling to their traditional cultural practices. Well, good for them. They're not influenced very much by the modern world. This is something that they've done for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Anomami tribe believes that after a member of their community dies, their soul needs to be protected, especially as it's making its transition. And the only way that the soul can be protected in their culture is for them to consume the corpse. Oh. Yeah, not exactly um, the type of buffet you get at a uh, post-funeral reception. It's not exactly cannibalism, but it is similar. It's called endo-cannibalism. Technically, it's the eating of the flesh or the dead person's corpse by members of the same community that the corpse came from. How is that different from cannibalism? When we describe like the alive situation or the east to west pass nomming. The the Donner Party? Yeah. When we talk about that, we call it cannibalism. Are we misusing that term? The difference is uh, endo-cannibalism is the cannibalism of members of one's own family or tribe. Oh, so it's just specific to that. Okay. So every member of the tribe, regardless of their social status, is given this high honor when they die. Once a tribal member passes away, a celebration is held. They sing and dance and cry to express their grief, the grief that they feel from the loss of their loved one. After this, a giant fire is built. The corpse of the tribe member or family member is put on the fire and burned As the body burns, the singing and crying resumes, then ashes are collected, and uh, they, they paint their faces with the ashes from the corpse. And then they gather the ashes and the bones, they grind the bones up into a powder, and they mix the bone powder with the ashes of the bodies. They then take the ashes and bone powder, and they mix it into a banana mash. Oh, well, bananas, that's good getting your potassium a lot of different ways, actually. And um, they make a banana soup. So the remains are essentially cooked into a banana soup and then passed around to every member of the tribe. Everybody takes a sip of it. Mixing the ash and the bone powder into a banana. It's kind of like a really morbid Dole Whip. That's This is a weird boo effect because someone on the Freaks group like three hours ago shared a picture of their friend's daughter who wanted to create something. And since this is their words, since we don't have woods, she used herbs from the cupboard. And so they made banana soup. Wow. I was tagged in it and it said, I feel like this girl is cat in the making. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no corpse in this soup though. No, I imagine. No. Let's hope not. So the tribe members believe by that by completing this particular burial ritual, it is the only way that the soul of the departed loved one uh, can find eternal rest. 
But interestingly, that's only if the person dies naturally or by accident. If the village member was murdered by an enemy, Mm -hmm. then the tradition is a bit different. The same procedure takes place. The same morbid dole whip is created, but only the women eat the ashes. Interesting. Afterwards. And then they plot a form of revenge. (laughs) (laughs) And and both the uh, the consuming of the of the powder and the bananas and the exacting of the revenge has to take place on the same day. Okay, great. So you should be making that soup early, giving yourself yeah, enough time sure. for other vengeful activities. Sure, you don't want to go out murdering on a full stomach. True. And as I mentioned earlier, this is not the only tribe that practices mortuary feasting. In eastern Papua New Guinea live the four people, F-O-R-E, four people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These people have a long-standing tradition of mortuary feasts. A little bit more... Mm, it's a little more... Well, I think from Western perspective, unpalatable, uh, not that the first method was. Well, I was going to say, the what you just described isn't as gory as I was expecting it to be, especially yeah. with the term feasting, mortuary yeah. feasting. It sounds very um, dead alive, you yeah. know, Peter Jackson-y. George Romero. They don't do the ashes and bone powder thing, the four people. They consume the flesh of their dead loved ones. Well, the men do. The women and children eat the brains of the loved one. Oh. And this is the highest ex- uh, expression of respect they have in their community. I hear brains aren't good for you, though. I mean, mm. that's maybe my understanding is wrong, but I, I feel like that's not advisable. No, you're absolutely right. In fact, this practice nearly destroyed the community in the first half of the last century. That's how you get Kuru. Uh-huh. Kuru, a deadly molecule that lives in the brains and spread to the women or the children who would eat them. The resulting horrible degenerative illness that it caused, of course, is Kuru. And at the peak of the Kuru epidemic within this tribe, it was said to have killed 2% of the population every year. Oof. Now, in the 1950s, this practice was outlawed because of uh, the Kuru epidemic, and almost immediately, the epidemic receded. But here, it gets even stranger. Within a short space of time, the Kuru epidemic irreversibly changed the four community, and the potential implications are being called significant. Because the women and children ate the brains of their deceased community members for generations, it appears as though they've developed a genetic resistance to the molecule that causes not just Kuru, but several fatal brain diseases, including mad cow disease, and in some cases, dementia. Wait, so eating brains gave them immunity? In the long run, that's, that's what it appears to have done in 2016. A single gene that has a protective nature to this uh, molecule was identified in a study published in the journal Nature. Um, researchers are saying that this is a huge step forward in understanding and combating degenerative brain problems, which, of course, include Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease as well. The gene protects people against prions. Now, prions are naturally manufactured in all mammals, but occasionally they can be deformed in a way that actually makes them attack the body that created them. It acts like a virus, kind of. 
It attacks the tissue in the brain. I don't like that. In fact, the mutated prions can even infect prions around it that are normal, effectively reshaping them to mimic their structure in destructive ways. These prions that are mutated are devastating and potentially fatal. In the four people, the brains that were consumed were riddled with microscopic holes that were made by these prions that gave the brain an odd spongy texture. Um, Prions cause mad cow disease with similar results in cattle. Um, That was what was responsible. You might remember the the mad cow outbreak in Britain in the late 80s and early 90s. They Mm -hmm. had to destroy hundreds of thousands of cattle. They also have linked it to a very bizarre form of insomnia, which actually kills people by depriving them of sleep. Oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. What an awful way to go. Researchers say that in the hierarchy of pathogens, prions are more elusive and more difficult to destroy than a virus. Scientists learned that many of the individuals at the epicenter of the Kuru epidemic have developed the special gene which protects them from rogue prions. This is a a very small change in their genome, but it has prevented the mechanism that manufactures the prions from creating disease-causing form of the molecule, protecting them, essentially, from Kuru. Wow. It's being called by the director of prion research at the University College in London, quote, a striking example of Darwinian evolution in humans. The epidemic of prion disease selecting a single genetic change that provides complete protection against invariably fatal diseases. That is fascinating. And you guys wanted to outlaw it. Experts say that the benefits of this discovery isn't just helping them defend against prion disease, but it's helping them understand the way the prions change the shape of their molecules around them. This is a groundbreaking discovery with potentially huge positive implications in the fight against brain diseases of many types, all because a tribe in Papua New Guinea ate their loved one's brains. Wow. My source information uh, came from The Independent, The Guardian, and The Washington Post. That's so cool. I need more brains. Brains. All right. Did that sound zombie-like? No, it just sounded like you just woke up. Well, that's fair, I did. (laughs) The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle during the 30s 40s and 50s hetty lamar was considered to be one of the most famous movie stars in hollywood and she's been called one of the greatest actresses of all time what you may not know is that she was also a world-class inventor In fact, she's often called the mother of Wi-Fi because she helped invent a version of the frequency hopping system that led to the creation of GPS, Bluetooth, and wireless internet. I just wanted to point out uh, my great self-restraint from not mentioning while I was telling the story about Papua New Guinea that uh, your DNA uh, report says that you are descended from cannibals. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. For not mentioning that. I mentioned it just now. Damn it. Uh-huh. I still find it ironic, though. You're a descendant of cannibals, but you're a vegetarian. <laughs> I wonder if you've got that gene. You think so? I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, immune to Kuru. That, that's good news. Yeah, absolutely. Christopher sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. I just wanted to say absolutely love the podcast. My wife and I are in school to be morticians, and we both work at a funeral home in Texas. So cool. And I often listen while I'm working in the cemetery. And it's very enjoyable while I'm working in the heat. We've always been interested in the weird and the macabre in the world. 
And your podcast is right up our alley. We'll keep flying our freak flags. Y'all have a good one. I love it. What a cool job. Very cool. Uh, Oh, this is something I wanted to mention real quick. We got a review stating that they didn't like the new podcast because they didn't like the voice I was doing in the intro. Oh, for the shallow end. Mm-hmm. They, they said that uh, you were trying to sound different than yourself. Right. That's not me. Yeah. See, there's the thing. So <laughs> that's uh, that's it actually wouldn't sound like me because it's not. It's not cat. We've had a couple of people mention that. Yeah. It's not cat. That's actually Nan McNamara, who's a very accomplished uh, actress. In fact, she co-stars on uh, the Rob Lowe series. What is it? 911 Lone Star? Something like that. I would be lucky if I sounded like her. And two, it's not me. Jim writes, Hello, Master of Freaks. Your rogue wave story reminded me of a story my late neighbor, Ray, who was in World War II, told me. He was stationed for a while on the Navy destroyer USS McGowan in the Pacific Theater in World War II. The ship was part of Admiral Halsey's armada centered around the Enterprise that went after a diversion of Japanese carriers that the Admiral famously felt compelled to pursue. They sailed into a typhoon. Ray recounted the experience during the crossing of a 100-foot swell, several of them, in fact. He said, We would be looking 100 feet up on the Enterprise, and then we'd be looking 100 feet down at the Enterprise, Uh. all the way through the storm. But they made it with no losses, a lot of sick sailors. He served 18 months during the war on that ship and lived until just a few years ago in the house he and his wife built in the 50s. And they each died a year apart. Wow, that's an amazing story. That is. We got a message from Stacy on Instagram. I grew up hearing my dad tell us how he was on the USS Fletcher and worked as a boiler tech. One night, he heard some footsteps above his head, but no one was there. This continued night after night, so he decided to go check it out. As he was climbing the ladder, he started to hear footsteps coming down the ladder, and then he felt a tingle from the Mm. top of his spine to the bottom. Then the pressure gauges started to move. He was still on the ladder when he felt a tingle go from the bottom of his spine to the top. Then he heard footsteps go up the ladder. Oh, my God. The next day, my dad spoke to his chief, and his chief responded with, Oh, you met Elmer. So during my dad's next shift, when he heard the footsteps, he yelled, Hey, Elmer, how you doing, buddy? He said after that, he never had to adjust the boilers. (laughs) Really? At times, he'd fall asleep during his shifts because Elmer was taking care of everything. (laughs) That's a helpful ghost. If you have a chance, look up Elmer Bigelow and see what he did and why the men on the ship had so much respect for him. That looks so cool. Thank you so much, Stacy. Great topic idea. Brandy sent us an email. Hey, besties. Had my first boo effect this morning. I'm currently listening listening to Box 449 when Kat mentions Scotland's wedding tradition of blackening brides. Now, what was that again? How did that work? They dump garbage all over them. Yeah, oh yeah, fish guts and <laughs> <laughs> curdled milk. Yeah. yeah. And that was in Inverness, right? Mm-hmm. She said, as I'm listening, I'm sipping coffee in Inverness, celebrating our fourth wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Here's the hoping this is just a wedding tradition and not something they recreate every year. I'll keep a vigilant eye out for fish, fish guts and treacle, while I search for Nessie yeah, today. Yeah, I think um, I think the f- the traditional fourth anniversary gift is fish guts. So, oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. 
I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If this podcast smells funny to you or shows small cracks around the edges, throw it out immediately. It may be past its freshness date. This is The Box of Oddities. Rua is a small agricultural center located about 22 kilometers southeast of the Zimbabwe capital, Harare. It's 1994, September 16, and there are school children at the Ariel School out for their morning break. It's about 10 a.m. And the teachers had gone back inside for a meeting in the staff room. So the kids were all out playing in an area slightly beyond their playing field of long grass with bushes and trees growing. And there was pretty thick undergrowth that, according to one of the stories I read, a child could be hidden should they hide in there. I love how that's phrased. The only adult outside was the woman running the tuck shop. And after some time outside, some of the children ran to her and said that they'd seen something. It looked like it was glinting in the trees. It looked like a disc, like a round disc. Huh. After the break was over, they described what they'd seen to their teachers, claiming that the, the whole event took about 15 minutes. The children claimed that they had seen three or four objects coming into the rough bush area, disc-like objects coming in along the power lines and finally landing in the rough among the trees just outside school property. The children ran to the edge of the school grounds to get a better look. Some claimed they saw figures come out of the discs. Did they say how big? It varies. Okay. But some said that they saw Little men come out of okay. them. So big enough for little men. Sure. UFO sized. You could say that. Yeah. Yeah. 
One of the little men that a child described was dressed in a black, shiny suit, and he had long black hair, and his eyes seemed lower on the cheek than our eyes. They were large and elongated. Obviously, the teachers were pretty skeptical, but when the children went home for the night and they told their parents, many of the parents came into school the next day to discuss what had happened. The sightings were reported on ZBC Radio, where Cynthia Hind learned about it. So she also headed to the school to try to get to the children to figure out what they had seen and what exactly had gone on at the Ariel School. So Hind interviewed the children. Aged between 6 and 12, they were around 62 kids who gave similar accounts on what transpired that day. And this was the very next day? Yes. Okay. So they wouldn't have had enough time to coordinate their stories if they were pranking people. I mean, I suppose if all 62 had decided on the playground unattended Mm. in that 15 minutes or so that they were on their break, I guess they could have. I think that's a tough putt. All right. It's far more likely they're UFOs. So cultural differences gave rise to some differing interpretations of the event. Some take that as proof that it was being made up, and some took it as proof that it wasn't being made up, that if the kids had decided on a story to tell, they would have had the same details. Interesting. Some of the children were from local tribes. There were also Asian children whose grandparents were from India, and Zimbabwean-born white children whose parents were either from South Africa or Britain. The common denominator here is that all of these families have money because this was a money school. Okay, so it's a private institution. Yes. Okay. So the differences in their story ended up being really interesting. Some of the black children thought that the short little beings were Zivikwambu, evil goblins, according to local folklore. Okay, all right. Well, or, that, makes, that makes sense. You know, when you see something that you don't understand yeah. or recognize, you try to fit it into your cultural structure, things that you do understand. Exactly. Some of the kids, though, thought that maybe that they were just weird-looking people. Mm. Um, One kid suggested that maybe one of the creatures was one of the teacher's gardeners, but Mm. then realized, wait a minute, the hair doesn't look right. So, I mean, the kids were really trying to figure it out. Anyway... A few days later, a man from the BBC, as well as photographer Gunter Hoffer, went to the school joined by Hind. And Hoffer was one of the first on the scene to document what had happened in photographs. The children were asked to draw what they had seen, and most came back with a pretty similar image of a silvery, very classic UFO-type craft, sometimes complete with figures standing nearby. And when the children were asked to draw their observations, some came up with drawings that contained two objects, one which was cigar-shaped, and that was labeled Thursday, while the disc-like shaped was labeled Friday. So some of the kids were claiming that they had actually seen something odd the day before as well. Hmm. So it wasn't they were mistaking what day it was. They, They specifically said, I saw something Thursday, and then I saw something again on Friday. Correct. Okay. They also said, many of the children also noted that the crafts had been in two locations. It was moving, this is a quote, disappeared, instantly reappeared somewhere else, and then vanished. It was in the second location noted that Hoffer, taking photographs, found flattened grass and wedge markings in the ground. Okay. 
The earth, he noted, was rock solid due to a long drought in Zimbabwe. So whatever made the marks really dug in hard. Now keep in mind, this area of terrain is not accessible by cars. So okay. it's probably not a vehicle that, that, that would it. have driven. Okay. Some of the kids in their recounting of the events even said that they had been communicated with telepathically. A few weeks after the event, Harvard University professor of psychiatry John Mack visited the aerial school to interview witnesses. That's when he was told by one of the fifth graders that the child had been warned about something that's going to happen and that pollution mustn't be. Hmm. This is the message that he received telepathically. That's right. Okay. That's a good message. That there were a lot of concerns by the figures in the UFOs about the environment. And it's something that we needed to pay attention to. The warnings were about environmental damage done by humans to the planet. And Mac said that the children were not being told these things audibly, but through their eyes. So they were envisioning, like they were seeing in their mind what the uh, message was? It's hard to know exactly huh. what that okay. that means through the eye. Maybe they were just really focusing hmm. and yeah. squinting while they were sending Maybe. their telepathy. Maybe. That's what I do. Like laser beams. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I'm doing it now. You're, you're going to put my eye out. Now, in the two days before the event, there have been a large number of people reaching out about lights in the sky. On Wednesday... September 14th, that's two days before the event at the aerial school, there had been a meteor shower. And there were dozens of reports of a capsule-like fireball trailing fire and flanked by two smaller capsules. Hmm. Hind also received several reports of alien sightings around that same time. So there are some who really are skeptical of the incident, um, especially because the interviews done by the reporter Hind, she interviewed the kids in groups of four to six. And some believe that that's, that leads to too much cross-contamination. Yeah, yeah. But again, if you are going to be agreeing to tell a story, wouldn't it all sound the same? Whereas there are a lot of different versions of what the yeah. figures looked like, whether or not they showed up on two days, the two different places that they landed. I don't know. It just sounds weird to me. The UFO incident at the Ariel School quickly became one of the most famous UFO cases in Africa. In June of 2021, there was an episode of BBC's Witness History and it described the event as one of the most significant events in UFO history. But again, there are a lot of people who are very skeptical. A lot of people point to mass hysteria or a simple prank, like you had mentioned. Maybe the 62 kids got together and all decided, hey, let's agree that we saw aliens, right? I, I don't think that would happen for a number of reasons, not the least of which they were between the ages of 6 and 12. Mm -hmm. What 12-year-old is going to hang out with a six-year-old. It's true. <laughs> number one. And number two, come up with some kind of a weird prank like this. It doesn't seem likely to me. Also keep in mind that years later, when reporters went back to interview the now grown children, they all still stood mm. by their stories. Wow. No one changed their story. That speaks volumes. 
Now, there are several documentaries about this incident, um, and I would be really interested to watch because it is one of the reports that I think is the most viable. Mm. It seems the most plausible considering the witnesses involved. Um, yeah, I would put that right up there with like the Phoenix Lights as far as credibility goes with a UFO sighting. There's a lot of information on it and I mean much more than I can get into today talking about all of the children's recounting of what happened and the pictures that they drew are so cool and I will absolutely share some of them. Awesome. If you want to check them out yourself, I got my information from I Fucking Love Science, from Wikipedia, obviously, from News18.com, The Mail and Guardian, and Daily Mail. I love a good UFO story. I know you do. Want to thank our newest patrons, uh, Kaylin, Kelly, Patricia, and Deborah. Welcome to the Order of Freaks. We've got a bonus episode coming up pretty quickly, and we will be scheduling the next Zoom call shortly. You can join, too. Support us on Patreon, become a member of the Order of Freaks, and you get all that stuff, and, of course, ad-free episodes, and you get them early, and lots of cool stuff. Go to theboxofoddities.com. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2022 All rights reserved love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts if you like this podcast can we recommend another one It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.